question, but we may put words up here and then I have a screen back there so that uh, you won't have to squint in the back. And I think I'm going to stand so that I can be seen better, but I do have one more clipboard. We got, we got three clipboards out there tonight. So if you sign your name three times, you're doing very well. If you sign your name twice, you're doing okay. Once, not very good at all. Uh, so go for it now. And this is kind of like the same thing that uh, Katie said. Just so that we can make a distinction and uh, what we're calling these things. Let me say that there are two different options, basically, that we're offering. One is a group, accountability group. And Katie, I'm calling that accountability. I'm not calling that discipleship, because discipleship, we have been speaking about in, in a way that that is in a mentoring relationship. So accountability, I got it on here, accountability groups. If you are either a guy or a girl, and you want to be a part of a guy's group, you can sign your name, or you can. if there are three of you that want to do it together, we think three is a good number. Four is a, is a little bigger, because we're going to give you some questions, some uh, accountability questions that are good. So I'll pass this around, and guys and gals can sign down here. If you are interested in a relationship with somebody more mature than yourself, and want to have someone mentor you, disciple you, then sign here. And what you talked about, Katie, was that strictly for groups? Yeah. As opposed to mentor, discipler. Okay. This will be, uh, I, I put mentoring discipleship here. So uh, if you want somebody to mentor you, guy, gal, sign up here. If you want to be in a some kind of group with two other people and uh, mentor each other, you're kind of holding each other accountable. Do you understand that, Tom? I mean, you getting that? Okay. All right. Okay, I know that you can't all see this well, but. You can at least see it, right? Yes. Okay. So, if you were here in Turkey, believe it or not, and they were going down to Israel, just past Israel, now we're in the African coast, and now we're coming over here, and uh, we just went to Greece. We're in Greece now. Paul was in Troas. And he said, he, he got a vision. What was the vision? What did the person say in the vision? Come to Macedonia. Guess where Macedonia is? It's right over in here. This is Macedonia. And... And did he plant any churches in Macedonia? The answer is yes. Which ones? Well, he, he, the first one was Philippi. He went to Philippi. And then he went to Thessalonica. Thessaloniki. And then he went to Berea. And then he came down to a place called, what's that? 
no, that's Morris right there. <laughs> so that must be Athens. Did he have a good time in Athens? You know, it appears that he had a difficult time, and I'll tell you why. He may have had a pretty good time for part of it. They took him to Mars Hill and listen to these characters, what they do. Acts 16. Let's say Acts 17, verse 21. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So, these were philosopher types. Loved words. Loved new ideas. Loved intellectual stimulation. And Paul, he's getting bugged by what he sees around him. The idols. And so, he kind of steps up to the plate. And he addresses it. How did they respond to his message? Did he plant a church in Athens? Did he ever talk about Athens afterwards? Only one reference, and it's we were left, we decided to be left at Athens. He didn't have a real happy experience. When he comes to Corinth, which is his, the next stop, he didn't stay a few days like he did in Athens. He stayed a long time, over a year, planted a church. And this is what he says, 1 Corinthians 2, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom. That's what he kind of experienced in Athens. As I proclaim to you the testimony about God, for I resolve. Now that sounds like somewhere along there he, he made a resolution. It sounds like it's kind of a new resolution, like he wasn't thinking that way before now. For I resolve to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now listen to this next part. I came to you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. He was literally trembling and he was afraid. That's what it says. Now if you were to meet Paul Describe anything that you may know about him. What? What? what he bald? Straightforward. Straightforward. And it, you know anything about his appearance? Not fantastic. I don't hear you. Not fantastic. Not fantastic. What about his speech? Good speaker? No. <laughs> He was intelligent. He was well trained. He was ambitious. What? 
teacher of the law. He surpassed all his brethren before he was a Christian. As a, as a Pharisee, he was going for it, and he was out in front. Is it because he had a personality? Is it because he had speech? In second, am I speaking too loud? Yes. <laughs> that guy's got an opinion. I mean, he just stated his opinion. And his opinion was probably right. I want to make sure I'm heard, so I yelled too loud. Listen to this passage, 2 Corinthians 10.10. 10. For some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. That's the Apostle Paul. That's how the Corinthian Christians took him. Not very impressive. I wonder if I wonder if he had a, a speech problem. Just wonder. Wonder if he if he stuttered or if he had a serious lisp. We know that he had a, some kind of thorn in the flesh. Could have been physical. Could have been Jews chasing all over the empire. It may have been something that they could see because he talked with Corinthians about having to come and humble himself before them again. There was something embarrassing about this missionary. Something that he struggled with. And he comes to Corinth out of this disorienting experience. And he came to a new place of truth. Disorientation is a good thing. Frustration is a good thing. When we come to places of frustration, disorientation, I shared with one of my family members today because of some real frustration. I said that's a good thing. Because if you grab onto it and you embrace it, that something is going on here, it's going to take you to a new place. Most of us just want to get rid of that real fast, get it out of here because it doesn't feel good, right? But if we can hold on to that and say there's something going on, Paul learned some things about wisdom as a result of this uncomfortable experience in Athens. And tonight I'm talking to you about wisdom. And I'm going to give you five aspects of wisdom from 1 Corinthians 2 that Paul learned. Now, if you were to contrast the wisdom from on high with the wisdom of the world, what are some things that you would say? What, what's the wisdom of the world? What's it like? you got to shout it out. Degrees. Pardon? Degrees. The, degrees? Degrees, like initials behind your name. Okay. Real important. That That's a big thing. And our society is even bigger in Asian culture. Very important. Degrees. Show, show you're strong. You, you got it. You got your intellectual, intellectual capacity. What else about wisdom in the world? Pleasure seeking. Pardon? Pleasure seeking. Pleasure seeking. Very Self much so. Self seeking. Self seeking. Watson? Logic, particularly the Aristotle Mmm. You know, when you get down to Athens, you've got you've got a history. 
You know, when you think of philosophy at its strongest, what names come to mind that came from Athens? Plato, Socrates, Aristotle. Also the drama, strongest uh, tradition of drama. People like Euripides. Uh, right from Athens. I wonder, I just wonder, if the Corinthians had an inferiority complex. They were not... They did not have the history that Athens had. And this was a society, uh, Athens was too, but even Corinth was known. Call somebody a Corinthian, that was a dirty word. Because they were so debased. So anything else about human wisdom? Yeah, it's me, me versus you. If I can dominate you with ideas, intellectual stimulation capacity, I'm, I'm better than you are. Put you down. Selfish ambition. Very much so. Really selfish ambition. Saw that in college. Oh my, how people put one another down. Out at the University of California. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say modernism, particularly that people have trust in the mind. Trust in the mind. Okay, now, I want to contrast this. Did you, were you going to say something? Limited. limited? You know how limited the Athenian philosophers were? you see what kind of gods they came up with? Crazy. Silly. Sparring with one another. Some of them immoral. That's the gods that they made in their own image. They didn't come up with much. It's so limited and limiting. Trust in what's observable. If I can't see it, I don't believe it. Yeah. Okay, turn to 1 Corinthians 2. And we want to contrast this kind of wisdom with the wisdom that comes from God. to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 1 Corinthians 1 said the cross is foolishness to humankind. Why is that? Because the cross puts down the pride of man. The cross is not a good idea. The cross is the power of God. If we had asked humanity to come up with the means by which God was going to rescue humankind, we never would have come up with the cross. To say that God would send His Son, we wouldn't have come up with it. We would, have, we would have had a campaign or we'd have had a program. We would have got other intellectuals together. We would have thought it through, come up with ideas. What are ideas that man has to bridge this chasm? What are some of the ideas that 
smart people have come up with to bridge the chasm between a holy God and an unholy people. What? Legalism. That's a good one. Legalism says I can do it. Good works. I can, I can bridge the chasm. I can make it go. I can do it. Pardon? Passive? NASA. NASA. Yeah. Yes, we'll, we'll fly there. Tower of Babel. Yeah. We are really stupid. And God takes something that is absolutely outside the realm of possibility thinking. He takes a perfect lamb, puts him on a cross for six hours, and then Jesus said, it's finished. And at the end of those six hours, all the sin that has ever been committed has now been atoned for. That's power. See, wisdom is not a good idea. Wisdom is getting the job done. And if it's wisdom, but it can't resolve a marriage problem, and if it can't get my friend delivered from demons, or it can't get me off drugs or get me off the street. Yeah. If it can't take me to a new place of joy from my from my depression, it's not wise. Amen. But if it can erase sixty years of filth and bring bring me to a place where I now I feel clean. And if it can unite Jews and Gentiles, I'll call that really. Jesus didn't come up with a good idea. He, he, he got the job done. That's wisdom. So if you want to know wisdom, the first and best place to look, according to Paul, is in the cross of Jesus. You know, people want to know suffering. Why? Why all the suffering? You want to know suffering? Survey the wondrous cross. There's no place where you'll get a better understanding of suffering than by studying, looking, pondering the cross of Jesus Christ. Because what do you see there? You see a suffering God. You see God on the cross bearing our sins. So that's the first thing I want to say. Wisdom is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. Second thing. I came to you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. The second thing is wisdom is found in weakness. Strength. What does strength say? I can do it. I can do it. I know the way. I don't need help. I don't need help. Oh, that's that's important. Weakness says I do need help, doesn't it? Yeah. Weakness. If you acknowledge that you're weak, you, you know, if, if you had a problem with alcohol, you come to a place where you, you realize, I need help. That's a good thing. Isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it? When we all come to a place of weakness. Okay. What else does strength say? Well trained. Pardon? Well trained. Well trained. Well trained. What does weakness say then? I'm not able. Okay. I'm dependent. It's like a little child. I need, I need outside help. I need help. Listen. 
I want to say this very straight. We need to get over our embarrassment with our weakness. And we need to embrace our weakness. Amen. That doesn't mean that we're not trying to change ourselves in Christ. But it does mean that if we can embrace who we are, all of it, including our weakness, we can come to understand what Paul understood. That He says, therefore, I delight in insults. <laughs> Is that an oxymoron? I mean, with I delight in hardships, I delight in persecution, because when I am, then I, in your weakness, God unites with you, in your strength, you're on your own. Now, in Christ, we are strong. So this is an outlook that I embrace, like the Beatitudes, listen to them. This is how Jesus starts his sermon about the values of the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are poverty stricken in spirit. Well, that's a good beginning. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty. You know, he could have said, Blessed are those who are weak. So I'm going to stop here because some of you are so afraid of your weakness, afraid of being found out, or afraid of you know that you don't have it, you don't have the personality for it. Paul didn't either. He didn't have the ability to. I don't think he had the ability to speak. I think it was sometimes embarrassing for him to get up in front of people. But he was so passionate, even before he was converted, that he went for it. And God loved that. So I just want you to think of your own areas of weakness. I've got mine. You've got yours. And Father, teach us how to live with ourselves. Teach us how to live so that we're not afraid to talk about those things. So we're not trying to hide in the dark because we're weird, because we're different. But allow us to, to face up to it in a way that calls out to you and, and unites with your strength in our life. I bless my brothers and sisters that they would find wisdom in weakness. Amen? Amen. Third thing. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. Wisdom is illustrated by power, not by words. And this is in, in vast contrast to the kind of philosophical wisdom that you get from Athenian philosophers, scholars. Their wisdom is not the wisdom of a life, because they had atrocious lives. They had immoral lives. 
but they're considered wise. And they're not wise by God's standard because wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective. Wisdom is getting the job done. They didn't get the job done. They didn't see enough to know the true God. They had these playful gods who were immoral or they deny God altogether. Psalm 14 says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They do vile deeds. There is no one good. No, not one. So wisdom comes out of dependence and God changes our life so that we can get the job done. That's wisdom. It's not a matter of words. It's not a matter of eloquence. It's not putting together good sentences and persuading people. It's not our ability to talk. It's whether we have the life or not. You read the book of Proverbs and you see wisdom is getting up. Wisdom is working hard. Wisdom is responding to somebody who criticizes you or who corrects you saying thank you. Wisdom is not getting trapped by someone from the opposite sex and giving yourself away in an illegitimate relationship. It's foolishness to go the other direction. And so they were doing all those things, but people were calling them wise. They weren't wise. They were stupid. So wisdom is not about our talk, but it's about our power. I want power. I want power to live a different kind of a life than can be reconciled with the commonplace. I want power to live in such a way that people give me influence because they can see that I make decisions that they don't make. See, they didn't make decisions. They just talk. There was no commitment, no accountability. They just talk and throw out these ideas. Oh, that's a good idea. And there's nothing ethical about it. Wisdom, according to James 3, is living in such a way that you're easily entreated, that you're pure, that you're peaceable, that you have the character of Christ. That's read a, a couple things that I wrote down here. Only the cross cleanses from sin, brings pagans into God's family, makes Jews and Gentiles Jews. Only the cross obliterates filthy living and makes a battered body into a temple. Wisdom is not theory. Wisdom is what works. It shows God's solutions to human dilemmas. When people have problems, a wise person is someone who can help them through to a new place. It's not some tricky idea, not some stimulation, but it's God working powerfully. I want power, don't you? That's wisdom. Wisdom is power. Because it's humility. You go low. It's weakness, so you go low. And then you latch onto God's power, and you live powerfully. And when you speak, there is power in your words. I want that. I want influence. James and John, when they asked to sit at Jesus' right and left hand, that wasn't a stupid request. Jesus didn't say to them, what a dumb thing you're, you're requesting. It was a good thing. They just didn't know that they'd have to pay a price for those seats. To sit in those places, you're going to pay for those seats. And he said, you know what you're asking? Are you able to... Are you able to, to accept the baptism that will come with that? And they said, we're able. And he said, okay, you will. Did they? They did. They did. And because of when they spoke, 
and influence. Well, I won't Wisdom is illustrated by power, not by words. I like what Paul says a couple chapters later. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. I mean, there he puts it right there. It's not a matter of talk. So if you have trouble speaking, not a big deal. So did Paul. You latch on in your own weakness. You latch on to the power of God. And live in a way that people cannot reconcile. They see the way you're living. They see you overcoming evil with good. They see you pouring on coals of burning fire onto people's heads when they do you the dirty. And my friend, when they shot up his irrigation hoses, he turned the other cheek. And when they took a rifle and shot out their security, his security lights, he loved them, led one of them to Christ. You know, it's, it's a mature person that overcomes evil with good. It just doesn't react to evil. Anybody can react to it. But wisdom is going to turn the table around. Overturn evil with good. That's what I design. Four. Verses. Seven on. Now we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has... What's the word? Reveal. Wisdom comes by revelation. Say it. Daniel knew that. He wasn't innately wise. He said, hey guys, we've got to pray. God's got to reveal something to us or we're dead ducks. And they prayed in the middle of the night, God revealed. Not only the interpretation, but the dream itself. He just prays to God who reveals mysteries. It's a wonderful thing to have a God who's willing to reveal things to you. Because that's, that's what we need. That's how we get wisdom. Is by Him revealing it. Not by discovery. It's not like we saw this math equation. Oh, I got it. Bang on. It's that He speaks to us. He reveals it in the Scripture. He reveals it into our heart. The playing field is level for revelation. Your IQ here is not an advantage. If anything, if anything, it's a liability. Because Jesus one day, I'm not saying lay your brains on the table. John Wesley once uh, was talking to a woman, and he was a very smart man. And this lady said, I just want you to know, Mr. Wesley, that God doesn't need your intelligence. And he said, you're right, man. And God doesn't need your stupidity either. <laughs> so it's not whether you're stupid or whether you're smart. It's whether you're a child or an adult. It's whether you're open to receive or whether you're locked in. You may be stupid and locked in to your stupidity and unwilling to receive. Or you may be so intelligent that you say, I'm strong. I've got what it takes. I can do it. And you stiff-arm God's revelation. Jesus, it says, He rejoiced in spirit, said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth 
that you have hid these things from the wise and learned. I read that and realize that I have three years of post of, of graduate studies. Some people might call me learning. What could that get me? That could get me shut out of Revelation if I'm not careful. Because I might think I know it. Because I've had Greek. I've studied Hebrew. I've studied Hebrew in Israel. Shouldn't that count for something? Come on, guys. <laughs> the ground is level. And I don't have any advantage over you. You have hid these things. He purposely hides it from people who think they've got it. And they really don't got it. And revealed it unto babes. For so it seemed right. So it seemed, seemed good to you. And then he said something that I've caught on to recently. And I've been pleading for it. He said, no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and Him to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So I said, Jesus, please, I begged Him, please reveal the Father to me. Please, so I can know your Father. You know your Father so much better than I do. Please reveal your Father. Wouldn't that be a good prayer for you to pray? How about if we just pray that now? That we would be so open, so childlike. You know, how do you know if a person is childlike? You see it in a lot of different ways. You can, sometimes you can sit in worship, although this person can be sitting quietly and worshiping a childlike love too. If you struggle with childlikeness, you know, if you know you're an adult, it's difficult. You know, we, we're supposed to put away childish ways, but we can easily lose our childlikeness. Childlikeness is what? What? What is it to be childlike? Trusting. Trusting is a big one. Dependent. Dependent. Free. qualities. We need childlikeness. Forgive us for our adulthood. Forgive us for those things in our life that show an independence, that show a withdrawal, that show a lack of, of trust in you. Or we, worry is an adult thing. Worry is not a child. And I pray for areas, pockets in our life where we worry, where we are anxious. Please deliver us and bring us to a place of childlikeness. And Jesus, please reveal the Father. Reveal to us what He's like. Let us know His way so that we may draw ever closer to our Father. Okay, the, the last one, number five, then we're going to have some ministry together. Wisdom comes by revelation. Revelation comes by the Spirit. 
God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Peter, as you were praying for me beforehand, you, you quoted right from there. And that meant a lot to me to hear a scripture that I was going to be using in a prayer beforehand. How do you know that? He didn't. He walked into it. The Spirit led him. The Spirit searches all things. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? What am I thinking right now? I got, I, I've got a thought in my head. What, what am I thinking? I was thinking about that fan that's blowing at me. And you didn't even know that. You can't know it because it's in my head. How can we know the thoughts of God? Impossible. Because the Greeks did not give in to the revelation of God. They operated by reason. Man, they fell far short. They came up with stupid ideas about God, about the world, about life, about morality. They were far from it. And the world says they are our heroes. And I'm not putting down some of the good things that Socrates said or that Plato said. But they didn't come up with anything worth going to the bank with. Whereas a simple child who yields to the Lord can have revelation, can have angels appear. For goodness sake, I was in Norway, in Bergen, Bergen, and uh, a special, special ed girl, the daughter of the pastor, she was, she was so uh, open to the Lord that the Lord revealed to her and had often had angels attending her that she could see. And I said, do you see them with these eyes or with these eyes? And she said, some of both. Sometimes I see them. Some guys, when they were lost with YWAM, she was in the car and they said, okay, we just want to test this out. We're lost. Can you get us there? And she said, yes. Okay. Show us where to go. She said, go down two blocks there. Okay, now turn right. Now, now keep going. Keep going. Okay, now turn left. It's that building right there. That was the building. She saw angels at those corners. In the building, she saw an angel sitting on top of the building. And God loved to reveal things to her. I asked her to pray for me, but I don't see angels. Please pray. I know some of you do too. I think that's wonderful. So that God does it for some people, and He sure did it for her. And she, you know, wouldn't impress anybody intellectually. Boy, she sure impresses God by her openness. So the Bible. He ends this. It's incredible. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Anybody raise your hand and say, I, I, can, I, can, I can figure it out. No, His ways are far higher. His ways are far higher. You can't figure it out. Then He says, but we have the mind of Christ. In other words, we can think like Jesus thinks. We can think like God thinks. We can come up with ideas and someone can say, well, that sounds like God. In fact, it does. We can come up with ideas that change our life and say, you know, you're living like God. And that can be true. Because we actually have the mind of 
Christ. How? By the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enables us to think like God thinks. Does anybody want to wonder at the incredible nature of that? And of God's willingness. He whose thoughts are higher than our thoughts, whose ways are higher. Paul just throws himself into a, a doxology as he's thinking about this in Romans 11. And he says, uh, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable is justice, judgments, and his paths beyond finding out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counsel? This is Yahweh. Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. That's the person Paul's talking about. And then he says, We've got Christ's mind. We can thank God's thoughts. I bless you tonight as people who, by the Holy Spirit living in you, can think the thoughts of God. And as you're walking through your day, you can have God reveal things to you that maybe He's never revealed to anyone ever before. And that as you are humble, Acknowledging your weakness, not running from it, but acknowledging your weakness, your absolute dependency on Him. You can have Him speak His words, His life to you that will change your life and give you power to change other people. take now a few minutes to apply this. The way I'd like to do it is have you spin around. Tom, you go sit right there next to Jimmy and Matt, and you three guys are going to pray together. And you got the couch there. Peter and Eric, you grab another guy. There he is, Josh. He's just wanting to be with you there. So Josh, you're on the couch. Two or three. Three at the most. And just spin together and think about this now, about wisdom. <clears throat> if there are any areas that God brought conviction to you, confess them. Maybe related to being too adult-like or being too proud or being too too intellectual or too heady, too, too brainy where you, you can't take that 18-inch drop very easily, you know, spin around now and take some moments to pray together, and then I'm going to close after you've had a few minutes to, to pray together. Was there anything that was being discussed on the 
thought that was really good. Just the, 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 the whole thing. Like, did you, did you, uh, I thought it was just really good. Uh, yeah.
reason, uh, taking dominion over time is only done through wisdom. And the scriptures uh, show that many different times that wisdom is connected with uh, time and taking dominion over time. So, Father, we ask for a release of a grace in that specific area, Father, that there be wisdom in how to flow in timing and taking dominion over time. That you would release that grace right now in Jesus' name over Peter. Father, and also that there would just be a, a, a greater and greater uh, release over Peter of just the wisdom of God uh, in, everywhere, in every area of his life, every facet of his life. That you would just show him uh, the wisdom of God. That he would uh, be a, just one who flows in the wisdom of God. Even that there would be the specific gift of wisdom, the spiritual gift of wisdom from first Corinthians, that you would even release that in greater measure over Peter in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Yes, it's the, the, the freedom from you can keep praying in a moment, but let me just close this off. And then, food's uh, back at the table. You're welcome to help yourself. And uh, this room here will become a prayer room. So, if you want prayer from someone else, there'll be people in here to pray with you. We didn't say anything about the bathroom. There's one here, and there's one up in the main that you can go to as well. Okay. So I'm gonna bless you. And I'm gonna bless you with peace. So just for a moment, I'm gonna stop just briefly. Thank you. Okay, I'm gonna bless you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.